With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. The election is a great win for the American people. With the races now called in Arizona and Nevada, Democrats will have a majority in the Senate, and I will once again be majority leader. Well, there it is, Hackaroos. There it is. Uh, a giddy. A giddy. You guys could only hear the audio, but he was literally dancing. Chuck Schumer, the former and now ongoing Democratic leader in the Senate after a walloping of an election, a rollicking and happy Democratic Senate leader, the former and now ongoing Chuck Schumer, doing essentially a happy dance. I don't think he can believe it because... As my partner in podcasting crime here, Robert Gibbs, will tell you, every Democratic pollster and strategist pre-election on Friday was sitting there alone at a desk staring into the future with a bottle of whiskey and a revolver in front of them. It was grim, and the expectations were grim, and the historical norm was grim. Yet, Gibbs, what happened? I know it's early in the podcast to begin to correct you. (laughs) But let's refer to him not as the Democratic leader. He's certainly that. But he is your majority leader, Mr. Murphy. He's it's the, true. He, he's, the, uh, he's the king again. And, uh, no, like you said. I- well, first of all, let me just say you, you are correct. So I stand corrected. There will be a lot of crow eaten by yours truly and, like, many other pundits. It's going to be the crow episode. <laughs> yes, yes, Fox, indeed. Thank you. Thank you for the on the nose sound effect. <laughs> he was ready. But you're right. He's my leader. And I like the suck up starting early, too. I know you want that Senate doorkeeper job. I'm hearing that. And it could be yours. So nice shrewd move, Gibbs. But go ahead. Yeah. And we should we should tell our listeners we got ghosted by our guests. You know who you are. Uh, so it's just Murphy and me today. Yeah. You're screwed, listeners. Just before the podcast, we got an email the old dental emergency trick that I remember uh, uh, Gene Kirkpatrick used to get out of a dole event late in the 88 primaries. But anyway, it's going to be Gibbs and I, but boy, do we have a lot of news. So Gibbs, take it away. We do. And it's interesting, Murphy. I know you guys covered a little bit of this uh, last week, but um, you know, I do think there'd been a lot of discussion by pundits, by us, by others, you know, had Democrats done too much on abortion? Had they talked too much on abortion and not enough about about other things. And what I think, and what I've certainly said on the days after the election is I think abortion was part of this series of things like election denialism, like political violence that voters looked at Republicans on the ballot and felt like they were simply outside the mainstream. You know, we'd had so much discussion on, on, on in the news on, Oh, you know, Democrats, they're too far out on some of these issues you know, they're woke or what have you. In reality, um, maybe we weren't paying enough attention. Maybe a lot of attention should have been paid to the fact that slowly but surely Republicans were moving themselves out of the mainstream and and probably by definition had done very little to nothing to answer those questions. Nobody had ever solved, not that I think it's solvable, Nobody had ever solved their their challenges uh, around, particularly around abortion. And you and I have talked about this. We talked about this with multiple pollsters. Ten percent of the American people are for where most of the the leaders are in the Republican Party around abortion, and that is no exceptions for anything. Ten percent of the American people. And let me tell you, Murphy, I don't, I, I didn't take a lot of advanced math classes in college. But if you're trying to get to 50% and you're starting with only 10%, you got a long way to go. Well, yeah, I, I, mean, I think the, we're, we're talking about all this. There are so many big forces. I'll, I'll give you my kind of top-line view. As 
listeners heard me say a zillion times on the podcast, and I was far from the only one saying it, the normal patterns of an off-year election right. are bad. Most of the time, it's uh, not always, but almost always, it, the president's party gets hammered. And then you add to that inflation and some pretty bad polling numbers for the president, it all adds up to the big hammer's going to happen. And we used to say, well, is this time different? Well, it turned out this time was a bit different. This is right. the only time in recent history, since 2000, where there's been something else big enough to pry the election from normal punish the president was in the midterms in 2002 when George W. Bush gained a couple of seats instead of being punished. And, you know, you can give a lot of credit there to al-Qaeda uh, right. because it was after, of course, um, the 2001. So there, this thing, the republic, I, my assumption was, and get the crow ready again, that the wave would be big enough to lift up some cinder block candidates and sweep them in. But instead, that 70% were on the wrong track, which normally would punish the president's party, turned out to be a punished Republican craziness. And frankly, you know, it, it, there were red waves. They were just in a couple of states. New York, Democrats are going to lose a pile of congressional races there. Florida, right. Florida didn't get the memo. They had never been happier. The Democrats got slaughtered, even fairly strong a Senate candidate there. So, you know, it's a little bit of a mixed bag. And I, I will say yeah. it's a bit of a victory in the Dunkirk tradition because they still lost the House. But fundamentally, compared to what the Republicans should have done right. and what they did, it was an earthquake of failure. And we're going to talk about the repercussions in the party. And I grant you, I think there was more younger turnout. Abortion had something to do with that. Some suburban decline. The Republicans managed to get in the way of this between their candidates, Donald Trump and the abortion issue. And boy, oh boy, you got to hand it to the, to, to the Dems who soldiered on in a bad environment and have a ton, particularly in the Senate and a few governor races now to show for it. Perfect. All right. All right. Now, now, now Gibbs, I, I do not remember you telling me that the, uh, it was going to be a democratic landslide, but I, I was more pessimistic well, than you were. You no were doubt. more pessimistic. I, I look, I think on election day, Look, well, well, first of all, let's update people on where we are as of this yeah, recording. It is uh, basically 217 seats in the House have been called for Republicans. You need 218 for the majority. Uh, the projections look like landing somewhere around 219, 220. So I think when all is said and done, uh, to your point, Murphy, the, the Republicans will go from roughly, let's say, 208 to 220 in the House. They'll have picked up enough seats. I think it might be 221 or 22, but put it this way, you can count on one hand the majority. Absolutely, which is going to make life just terrible no. for Kevin McCarthy. We'll get to that in a second. Yeah, will it be Kevin McCarthy? We're, right. But we'll get to that. And I think, too, I mean, look, I think particularly talking again, as you said, to a, a number of Democratic pollsters the morning of and the day of uh, Election Day, they were pessimistic. I think you'd, you'd have to have thought, I thought for the longest time, 50-50 was the most likely scenario for for Democrats. I did think that a lot of these out-Senate races that, that were being talked about, really on both sides, right? North Carolina, Ohio felt too far out for yeah. Democrats to win. Um, I didn't see and they were. that Colorado, Washington, or New Hampshire, people were increasingly nervous about New Hampshire. But I think going into that election day, you'd have thought, Maybe I give a I give it a toss up with a little bit of an edge to Republicans. I think most of the Dem hacks, the consensus of all hacks, was that the Repubs would win Nevada. Um, right, that that was gone, and that Fetterman was in real trouble. And his margin is pretty impressive, by the way. Fetterman wins the award for exceeding expectations, I think. Uh, and they had a little more faith in Georgia, but they saw two bad ones for sure. And Wisconsin, which did go down, they'd kind did of give it up hope yeah. with. Yeah. And look, I think to your point, crazy lost, right? Crazy was on yeah, the ballot exactly and crazy right. lost. And I think that's that's really important. And to your other point around the history of this election, I think as we get farther and farther away from this, we're going to realize just how monumentally historic this was. And again, Democrats are likely to lose the House. I could make an argument that that's not a bad thing politically. We can come back to that if you want. But um to your point earlier, in 1998, Bill Clinton defied, not in a first midterm, but in in, a, in his last midterm, defied um, defied history and and did well in a midterm. His approval rating was right. 67. 
right? No, he had an economic tailwind. And right. Bush in his first term had, you know, 2001. Right, exactly. And and his approval rating was in the low 60s. So to your right. point, a lot of people looked at at a lot of numbers, 40-year high in inflation, approval ratings uh, not doing so well, right track, wrong track, um, you know, some of even the enthusiasm numbers. Interestingly, was in the building at NBC when the, their poll came out on Sunday that showed that enthusiasm was had ticked up uh, quite a bit from Democrats. I, I, it was an interesting. I think even even then people were like, "Wow, this is interesting." It's not not really maybe what we're thinking. But I, again, I think people just misunderstood how fired up the electorate was on the other side. Again, to vote out crazy, and I I think it was. I think we look back at it, it's a lot. It, abortion was a big, huge part of it. Um, I think election denialism. Uh, yeah, that, that's was, what I was going to say. What's the worst thing you could be on election day other than a friend of Robert Gibbs? Uh, right, you a could denier. Be, they got slaughtered at every level. You know, and for our listeners, you've all you've all almost certainly heard because you're junkies like we are. Uh, you know, I don't know whether they save the best for last. Uh, now that election day extends uh, going on more than a week, Murphy, but. Uh, last night, uh, the networks, the AP projected that Carrie Lake, election denier in chief, yep. was going to lose going in Arizona. Uh, and and look, I, I saw something. It's been since 1950 since Arizona had two Democratic senators and a Democratic governor. And if that doesn't give you uh, a, a bit of a sense of how much the entire Republican Party of Arizona, Murphy, I know you can talk about this. They'd sold their John McCain stock and they had bought heavy into election denialism. Oh, yeah. I mean, Lake closed her campaign attacking McCain. I mean, it's unbelievable. Uh, yeah. And I agree that there. it's interesting because on one hand, you have the red wave states, the Floridas, the New Yorks. And then on the other hand, you actually have legit blue wave states like Arizona. Right. Michigan's fascinating. I mean, I think it was always. Well, the I'm smart ready money. to go she, on a rant for that. I'm ready. Well, she she would fend off uh, crazy Tudor Dixon, but the nutty AG lost. Good news. I, I don't love the AG we have there now, the Dem, but not crazy. So therefore, the only choice. But the state Senate, where I started out way back with my buddy John Angler, who was Senate Majority Leader to Governor, we can we Republicans have controlled the Michigan State Senate since quiz question 1983, and the Democrats won it. So there was a legit blue wave in Michigan. Yeah, and I think we should take a second to talk about that. And I tweeted out some stuff on this over the weekend. You know, I think if you look at Whitmer, Whitmer's number of 54 and a half percent the last time I looked, the last time a Democrat got that number uh, was was 2008 with Barack Obama. Uh, and if you look at the strength of some of those numbers, she she wins Macomb County. She destroyed Tudor Dixon in Oakland County. Yep. But she's also winning places like Grand Traverse County that, that you know, uh, up in the northern part of the state where, quite frankly, if you look at the election returns from 2016, uh, they're not pretty up there. They're not pretty in Bay County, uh, up in the sort of uh, in the Saginaw area. So I, I think... I got into a little tussle in, on one of our podcasts with uh, with Sarah Longwell when she was talking about the lack of a Democratic bench. Let me just say, Murphy, the Democratic oh, bench is the new star. Yeah, yeah, the Democratic bench is alive and well. Gretchen Whitmer was an absolute superstar in this race and and crushed Tudor Dixon. To your point, now all of a sudden, for the first time in forty years, Democrats control the governor's mansion, the constitutional offices the state Senate, the state house and the Supreme court. Yeah, no, Michigan taxpayers are doomed by the way. They're all looking at brochures <laughs> about Canada. But also, now. but let me, you know, build on this, this whole idea of a democratic bench. Look, Josh Shapiro, rising star, right? Jared Polis in Colorado, rising star, Westmore in Maryland, rising star. And there's certainly others because you've got people that, that, yeah, you could say, oh, they ran against, you know, uh, election deniers. Hey, you win the Super Bowl against a bad team, you still win the Super Bowl. And and I think this idea that somehow, you know, boy, Mike Pompeo and Nikki Haley are way better than anything the Democrats have. Let me tell you this. Give me Josh Shapiro or Gretchen <laughs> Whitmer against, against some. I am on a rant, largely because I've heard this for I so long. I didn't think you wanted that DNC press job. What no, happened? <laughs> you're, you're fat no, I and just, rich. What, I think what's this idea of, like, you know, Democrats are, are well set up because let me tell you what, of those of three of those candidates that I just mentioned, Whitmer, Polis, and Shapiro, have all now won swing states. And that's what's yeah, remarkable no, no, about I, Whitmer's I thing. She won in a swing state. She was an incumbent governor that had to that had to deal with 
uh, governing through COVID. But let, let's go back. We, we talked a bit about Carrie Lake. Let's talk about the dynamics in the House because... Well, let, let me let me stop you before the transition and interject yep. one thing. Then we can go to the House. And uh, Lee Stefanik waiting eagerly tonight to see if Trump goes off script and attacks McCarthy. And then her campaign will start an hour later for Speaker. Andy Biggs already running. But I, I just want to... There was one other kind of measure of the electorate. Election denialism, voters hated it. Cinder block, Republican Senate candidates who were literally embarrassing. Voters were ready to punish that. But the Dems have to be careful to say, oh, big embrace of our president and our fine program here. There was, first of all, we have to wait for California's slow motion like a wall of lava creeping along counting mechanism because it's all mail-in and they bear blah, blah, blah which will up the Democrat generic number a little bit. But in terms of, and this is a, a number I'm, I'm not a huge fan of because it doesn't project, but the Dems love this number, which is more people voted Democratic for Congress and Republican, but due to big oil or somebody, we didn't get as many seats. Well, this time, more people voted Republican, probably by about four and a half to five points in Democratic, and that's a rise of seven points. So in terms of what the mood of the country was, if it was like a presidential election, there was a mini red wave in the voting. But the way the system works because of state sizes and everything like that, it doesn't always translate. So this was an election where the Republicans did a little better in votes in mass for the House, but they ain't going to get the seats. It could literally be two, three, four uh, uh, seats, which means it's incredibly hard. I mean, actually, uh, and then we'll we're go to the House, just a point of personal privilege, is actually what I'd like to say when he goes on and on. Uh, I'll steal that trick. I created a TV pilot in 2019, an hour-long show we shot for CBS. It almost made it on the air, starring Patrick Dempsey. I hear the squeals, McDreamy, great guy. And it was premised on the House with a three-point lead for the Republican Party and all the intrigue. And we thought, Three oh, seats. we get 120 yeah. episodes out of this because it's going to make Game of Thrones look like amateur night. Because uh, all you need is two, two, one congressman to have a stroke and two more to want new Cadillacs. And a lot can happen when it's that close because it makes everybody a bit of an independent operator if they want to be. So, Gibbsy, take us through that. You've, you've staffed um, presidents who've dealt with the House. This is going to be a very rickety piece of scaffolding, starting with can McCarthy become speaker again? Yeah, it's a great question, and I would say this: dust off the old film, Murphy. I'm and head back into uh, head back into talk to the pilot on this because I think uh, we're pitching the pilot because I think there's no doubt there's uh, what you thought might have been a strange script then is now the the reality of Republican life. And you know, having dealt with the House in the White House, but also I, I grew up working in the House. That's my my first jobs were in the House, and. You know, Murphy, for our listeners, the House is a tremendously orderly system. And what do I mean right. by that is everything, everything is governed by the majority, right? What comes to the floor? Yeah. It's not like the Senate where the minority has a million wrenches they can throw into gears. The House is about making a herd of cats try to move. So Absolutely. It, is, it is all, I started there too. It, it's all lined up that way. But now... Yeah. It's loose. The bolts on the wing are yeah. loose. The internal pile. Every yeah. faction with two or three members can say, wait a minute, if we don't change the metric system, we're not voting for X. It's a nightmare. The leadership controls everything. The challenge that, that Kevin McCarthy is going to have, and I said this, I think, before the election, the only thing worse than than losing the House majority may be for Kevin McCarthy winning the House majority. Because now you've got, a, a, as you said, a caucus of two or three can say, no, we're not going to vote on that today. Or mm, I want my amendment to be voted on before we vote on that. And, and so, look, we spent a year and a half on this podcast, almost two years talking about how hard it was for somebody who's a master tactician in Nancy Pelosi to govern with five or six or seven or eight in the majority. It looks like Kevin McCarthy is going to be governing with a, an even slimmer majority. You saw yesterday a congressman from uh, from Nebraska who mentioned, "Hey, if Kevin McCarthy can't get the votes, maybe we should uh, maybe we should we should have a compromise speaker with some of the Democrats." Because yeah, what's fascinating about the leadership elections in the House to understand this is Kevin McCarthy just needs a majority inside the Republican caucus to be nominated for speaker, and that's almost certainly going to happen at some point today because. Yeah. While you know there's very little, there's no real organization against him. 
other than the not Kevin McCarthy on the ballot. Well, yeah, and let, let's do it very fast. Andy Biggs, who's a former chairman of the Freedom Caucus, announced, but they're all waiting to see. Trump put out a statement yesterday supporting McCarthy, right. but it was staffed. As did Marjorie Taylor Greene. I mean, it, right. it sort of, that was a coalescing. I love that but Andy we'll see Biggs. see what Trump does at open mic night tonight, you know? Andy Biggs didn't throw his name in the ring yesterday because the candidates had to go up in front of the caucus and take 15 minutes of questions. And it's pretty interesting that, that Andy Biggs is like, yeah, I'll run, but I don't really want to answer any of these questions. Yeah. But but to the, the larger point, to be elected Speaker of the House of Representatives requires 218 votes as Congress organizes in the beginning of yeah, January. Of everybody, think, including uh, the, theoretically, Democrats. the Democrats and eight Republicans could grab the House. Or Absolutely. not even eight. Let's say it's a four margin. Five, you know? yeah. yeah. And so yeah. I think there's Kevin McCarthy has the tiger firmly by the tail for the next six or seven weeks. Uh, and it's going to be bumpy the entire way. And, and, and to our point earlier, it's just two or three people can throw a big wrench into the system. Plus the Freedom Caucus is pitching McCarthy this very generous deal of we will support you for speaker and all we want in exchange, Kevin, is the ability to dethrone you on one vote anytime we want. Right. You know, so you walk around with a red button on your head. In other words, you're an employee now of the Freedom yeah. Caucus, which is a suicide pact for him. And wait till we get to the debt ceiling next spring. And the the thing that's going for for Kevin McCarthy right now is you can't beat something with nothing. Republicans that have, that are that are tepid about McCarthy don't have somebody that can seriously mm. dethrone him. Well, if Trump takes an ad lib or two tonight, there is an incredibly cynical, incredibly ambitious, very smart, and you know, I've actually never seen this person within twenty feet of holy water. So I have some suspicions. Named Count Stefanik. Yeah who would run against him in a New York minute and literally got 14 paper cuts on election after the disaster, putting out a press release. I love Trump. He ought to be the president and everything. So yeah. keep an eye on Elise Stefanik. And now a word from our sponsors. Murphy, you know what? When journalists break a juicy story, they never do it alone. It takes an incredible team. And if you're looking to build a team that shapes headlines, you need a hiring partner to help you find top talent who will ask tough questions. You need Indeed. Let me tell you about Indeed. It is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. You're busy. I'm busy. I have to hire people. I never have time. But putting everything together saves me hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all in one place with speed and efficiency on Indeed. You can find top talent fast with Indeed's suite of powerful hiring tools like Instant Indeed Match, Assessments, and my favorite, virtual interviews. Yeah, Indeed helps star applicants shine even before the interview with over 135 graded assessment tests they can take from cooking to coding. Indeed helps you see your top talent's abilities in a flash by adding any of the 135 graded assessment tests to your job posts. So select for the skills that matter most to you. With Indeed assessments, you can pick from over 100 skills tests and add them to your job post. That way you can find candidates with the right skills fast. Murphy, join over 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. And why are they all using Indeed? Because it's fast and it works. I hate to wait, but Indeed's U.S. data shows that over 80%, 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Thing moves at lightning speed. So how do you get it? What do you do? It's action time here at Hacks on Tap. All you got to do is go online, visit Indeed.com slash hacks to start hiring now with lightning speed indeed.com slash hacks ran for election a week ago and things didn't work out well maybe you need indeed <laughs> indeed knows that you're growing your own business and you have to make every dollar count with indeed you only pay for quality applicants that match your must-have job requirements visit indeed.com slash hacks to start hiring right now indeed.com slash hacks terms and conditions apply
What's going to be interesting too, Murphy, I said this earlier and I was having this debate back and forth with, with uh, friends over text and some over phone uh, over the weekend. You know, I can make a credible case that seems the voters may have done it uh, without me. I'd make a credible case that Democrats would be better off politically without the House, right? Because you look at 1994, Bill Clinton gets crushed and wins in 1996 because he plays off the House. 2010. Particularly this House, because they're going to go braveheart and crazy. We get shellacked in 2010, come back in 2012. Less the House that we were pivoting off of somewhat, um, but but more where the Republicans went. But look, the Republicans are going to produce crazy because of the dynamic we just talked about means that Kevin McCarthy can't chart his own path. Kevin McCarthy can't go a different route. This is a Trumpier caucus for the Republicans. And they didn't get the memo that crazy didn't win on Election Day. They think crazier should have won. Some of them don't, but you're right. It's a little bit crazier. It's also fear-driven. It's bitterly disappointed. It's not shock and awe. It's shock and rage because they really thought they were going to have 25 seats. Uh, So, you know, no, they didn't get the pony for Christmas. And and so there's a, there's a mix of fear in the regulars, yeah. and they're and they're seeing people they like go away. The the old grownups are mostly gone. Many of them didn't run. A few lost primaries. I mean, a good example is Catco in New York, who was one of the good guys, smart, get it done. Voted for impeachment. Uh, Repub members decided not to run. Had enough, and now there's a Trumpy robot instead. So it, there's going to be a lot of turmoil, and they they've got two things they can do. If if the Repubs had won the Senate. McConnell would have tried to do a few things, a few conservative things, but they didn't. So now they can investigate, which they love because they get on Fox News. And it also, their internal myth is that, of course, the Biden administration is full of terrors that must be exposed to the American people. And second, they grab appropriations and it's gridlock city. And that's the war we're really going to have, starting with the continuing resolution or not to shut down the government in December. And it is just going to push this outside of the mainstream uh, extremism, I, I think, even higher than it already is, because none of those guys is is or, or uh, even Stefanik, the guys and the girls, N- nobody's going to admit on that side that the election in twenty twenty wasn't stolen. They're all still they're all that's still all a caucus of election deniers. They just yeah, though I, I again, some of them are faking it to survive in Republican, and we're going to get to this, but the yep. Republican gravity field has shifted. But let's go over to Biden for a minute, because yep. Biden's been sending a signal like any incumbent. God, I've heard this so many times. Well, this was clearly about my accomplishments. We finally got the message out, and people did the only sane thing, which is reward me for being wonderful. There wasn't a lot of humility there, and I don't think Biden knows if the Republican circus hadn't been horse-shitting all over the election, he would have got his butt kicked. There's a cockiness coming through. Now, on one hand, it was good for Biden, and he needed it. If the Repubs had won two more Senate races, and if they had had a little bigger margin in the House, so they again, they still won the House. That's not a small deal. There'd be people all over Lib Media talking about how, well, they're going to New Hampshire. They've always loved maple syrup, and they might stop by a few political meetings. It would have started. It would have been crude. It would have been a lot of time to retire Grandpa. He can't remember his name. Biden's got a little zip now, legitimately. I thought, he, you know, the Z summit clearly went better because they sensed a little strength in Biden. Chinese follow this stuff. But will they make the mistake, it's my windy way to land on it, of Biden not knowing the country is more than happy to punish him next if the economy keeps creaking along and the Republicans start to pivot now that Trump's got troubles? I think it's a great point. I don't think that, uh, I don't think we should assume that the the in the coming Republican pivot is going to solve much or any of what their concern is. I think your point's right. What I would look, if you're the white house, I would take my moment of strutting. They deserve it. Uh, a lot of people were ready to bury them. Um, but I think, and my hunch is that these meetings have been going on while he's in uh, Indonesia and Egypt for um, these meetings is there's a, a, a some planning going on on how do we how do we maximize what we have how do we minimize some of our our challenges uh, because we know Republicans are going to come particularly in the House are going to come through investigations how do we change the issue agenda because I, I look the White House is smart enough to read the same exit polling that you and I read Murphy which is the Democratic Party is just slightly more popular than the unpopular Republican Party but it, to your point it it isn't a slam dunk and. Uh, I think there's there were some good things that happened. I think there's some issues like Roe v. Wade that will continue to give them 
uh, some wind at their back. Um, but I think that there's going to be a challenge going forward. I think he staved off a lot of that in the short term. My guess is this sets up an extraordinarily big moment at the beginning of the year and inside of the State of the Union as to how the pivot and what the pivot looks like. Because now you get to use Congress and Republicans against you uh, in a way that makes this much more of a choice. Well, it's perfectly fine for the the Dems to be in opposition because he can go pick a war with the Congress and try to do Clinton the ice show all over again, Right, which the Republicans in the House may fall for. Now, let me give you my contrarian view about Mitch McConnell because he's such a stage villain to so many Democrats that, oh, this is great. He's so bummed. He lost the Senate. Boo-hoo. Mitch is sobbing. What I think Mitch is really thinking is, well, I would love to have majority but it would have been narrow and they, the Dems would have done to me what I've been doing to them because you can create a lot of trouble in the Senate with a big minority. But I think Mitch isn't quite as bummed as people think because I think he's sipping his bourbon thinking, all right, I would have loved to have it, but I can do a lot in the minority. And second, what I know that the punditocracy hasn't figured out yet is the 2024 Senate map in two years is fantastic for the Republicans. The Dems have to defend like everything. And so I'll grab it in the presidential year. And meanwhile, my nemesis Trump is bleeding all over the carpet, Trump falling to his knees. And I can be in the opposition and let Schumer own the recession. I mean, I got moves here, and I may even get rid of Trump and really run the table in two years. So sure, he'd rather be leader now, but it's the same as your Democratic theory. There's politics to do in the minority, and the epic battle is going to be 2024 where he's holding a ton of cards. And again, Trump in trouble. Not a sad day for Mitch McConnell. Yeah, I think Mitch is going to play the long game as he normally does here. And and I don't disagree that he's not in a terrible position. Look, he may even get to deal with, you know, he may put a uh, finally put a, a shiv in Rick Scott, who's been a thorn in his leadership yeah, totally. side. Um, look, the one thing that, that Mitch McConnell, though, does have in the back of his head is Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden are going to get a lot of federal judges through in the next two years. That's enormously important, Right. Uh, if somebody were to get sick, God forbid, and and something happens on the Supreme Court, Democrats have that covered for the next two years, which is which is really important. But I don't disagree with you that that the 2024 map. I mean, we know Ohio's up, Montana's up, West Virginia's up. Uh, so there's some really tough races in in 2024. I'd always thought, to your point, Murphy, that the downside or the upside, as you point out, for McConnell losing the Senate was. He was almost certainly, if that were the case, going to be able to blame all of this on Trump. Right, and, exactly. and which is true. I don't even know that he's had to he's had to force this. He can just sort of step back and and watch it. I, I think. Look, uh, there's still a lot you can do in the minority, as you said in the Senate. I think Chuck Schumer. There's a lot he can do in the majority. So I, I think everybody, Mitch, may not be terribly disappointed. Uh, I'm sure he would love to have been in the majority. Uh, Schumer gets his judges. Biden gets his judges. That's all very important. I, I think the 2024 machination started about seven minutes after the polls closed in the last state <laughs> no, in 2022, totally. as they always do. And, yeah. and so I think there's going to be a lot to watch out for. I think in the on the House side with Democrats, I think a lot of people are still watching what Nancy Pelosi is going to do. Uh, it, it, I think it will be interesting uh, there because I, I think the attack clearly on her husband has has made her rethink some stuff. But all things right now point to the fact that she doesn't seem to be going. And there's a bunch of media leaks from the White House begging her to stay, probably right. from Pelosi. But it's not in it is in Biden's interest to have totally. her for two years and what trouble she can make. So absolutely. It's, and- uh, I think more likely than not, she will, but I don't know her thinking. I don't either, I think, but I know that there's no better tactician in on that side of Capitol Hill than, than she is. And and she knows what it takes, to your point, to muck everything up, and she knows what it takes to put together a few to, to keep it going. So one question to close out the Biden deal, because it's still, it's still huge. He's having a nice Geritol week here, well-earned. Careful. Did a nice job with Z. But will he run again? I know he wants to. All presidents want to. But the age thing is big. You know, my my joke I use with affection for, for the old guy, as I guess I have to call him now, when he's having a great week, is it's like waking up as president thinking about running for re-election. And you say, God, I've got it. I figured out how to cure cancer. Hold a press release. But you 
feel of your head and you've got big antlers that have suddenly grown out of it. You've now got an antler head. So you go down to the press saying, hey, I've cured cancer. It's incredible. And the first question, what about those antlers? I mean, the, the age thing does not go away. It's glued to him unless he starts doing gymnastics and starts to talk like a Shakespearean actor, which yeah. is unlikely. So what do you think? What do you think he'll do now? Because, you know, the clock is ticking if he's not going to do it. It is a great question. I think the good news for the White House is last week gave them the space to make the decision on their terms. The exit polling showed that Democrats are supportive in a way that maybe they weren't two or three months ago. And so I think, to your point, they all want to run again, right? Um, they they all imagine themselves uh, reelected in the adulation that brings and the freedom that a second term gives you. Yeah, you mean he doesn't want to go to Delaware and pick a site for a library outside a, a hazmat-filled DuPont plant? I'm shocked fair, he'd rather fair. stay president. But I think this gives them the space. And I think, look, I think this is going to be an extraordinarily personal and, and family decision. My guess is most of the family probably wants him to run again. I do think this is going to be a pretty small conversation, a pretty small group of people. I think Jill Biden is going to play a huge role in whether or not uh, Joe runs again. And again, but, I think but should Democrats want him to run again? That's the thing. I, I agree. That's how it'll work out for him. But is he it? I don't know that we know the answer to that at this point. I think the good news, if you're the White House, is in a world of where crazy was on the ballot, people had to make a decision about whether or not you were stable enough uh, to, to support Democrats. And I think they can take some, um, there's some wind at their back on that. Now, again, you and I know this, politics can be different a month from now or two months from now, and it almost certainly will be than it is today. And so I think that's the calculus that he has to put into his head. I think there's, I think there's a, and you can make an argument if you're sitting in that White House, quite frankly, either way, you know. And I think this will be an intensely personal decision. I think we'll know probably fairly early, and, and when I say fairly early, I think sometime pre-state of the union. And it looks like, you know, as we transition to this discussion on Trump, while the Republican side looks like it might accelerate, you could make the argument that. You know, let Trump be Trump out there all by himself. And if you're a Republican, just watch that for a little bit. So the, the primary system may slow down ever so slightly in a way, again, that gives Biden, I think, a little bit of extra space to make this decision. If I were the Biden historian, I would tell him the boss move to make is swear in the new Senate and House, slam to a bunch of judges, and then in the spring announce you're not running again. We clear the deck for the party and go out on a high. But in the White House, nobody's going to pitch that because, you know, the, the gestalt is you're, you're, you're Christ and we need you. All right. Hold that thought. We're going to take a short break. And now a word from our sponsors. So, look, you know what drives me crazy, Gibbsy? I'm like waiting for a plane because we're both on the road a lot in this line of work. And I'm futzing around with my phone. And I stumble my way nine menus down to subscriptions. And I find out I am wasting money on subscriptions all over the place. Metric system today, you know, you wouldn't believe Yahtzee magazine, some of the crap I've signed up for that I didn't even know I was paying for. 80% of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about. You know, it could be an Amazon Prime account you don't use or a Hulu account you bought that then the show went off the air, but it never gets turned off. Well, the answer is upon us. There's a great app that I've become hooked on that lets me track all of my expenses. And because of it, I'm no longer wasting money on subscriptions. I can waste it on other stuff. You might have heard of it. It's called Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill. The app shows all your subscriptions in one place and then cancels for you whatever you don't still want. Rocket Money can even find subscriptions you didn't even know you were paying for, Murphy. You may even find out You've been double charged for a subscription. Oh, boy. That would drive me crazy. I'm going to look. To cancel a subscription, all you have to do is press cancel and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Get rid of useless subscriptions with Rocket Money now. Go to rocketmoney.com slash hacks. Seriously, it could save you hundreds per year. That's rocketmoney.com slash hacks. Cancel your unnecessary subscriptions right now before they go on forever, burning a hole in your wallet. Go to rocketmoney.com slash hacks. Trump. 
Trump, the biggest news. We saved it for last. Well, I did a little poll on Twitter, and he needs a new nickname. And the current winner, we're soliciting new names, is Mara Loser. So there's going to be a Mara Loser event tonight. We're recording this in the morning. And I believe 9 o'clock Eastern or 6, anyway. I think 9 o'clock Eastern. Yeah, he's going to do a Castro speech, apparently. The rumors, which have been heavily leaked by his side, is he's going to give America the news it's been dying for. That he is indeed running for president. now, Literally dying. The world of Trump has really changed. And I'm not sure the Trump people. And we've argued about this for two years. I've always said, I don't think he'll be the next nominee. You said you're crazy, Murphy. You're a dreamer. Trump owns the party forever. But this was, there are internal injuries now. Because we've had three losses in a row. and, And you can just tell by not words, actions. There are tons of real Republicans, even some formerly pro-Trump cynics out there, loudly saying, no, 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 not again. I mean, it has started. So there is a war starting now. Trump is on the defensive. And there is a huge fatigue in the party, tired of losing, because Trump is directly culpable for the cinder block Senate candidates and the loss. Uh, He bent history. Again, only Osama has been able to do this since 2000, to take a midterm election and change what it's about to benefit the party in power that would normally lose. So what do you think he'll say tonight? Why do you think he's saying it? And how do you see it playing out in a very different world than Donald Trump was in a month ago? Yeah, we have argued about this for two years, and I do think he's in a fundamentally different position. All right, wait a minute. There's a sound I want to hear. All right, beautiful, beautiful. But as that crow circles, uh, (laughs) uh, I'll get to this in a second. No, he's definitely in a fundamentally different position. And I think he is racing against two things. I think he wants to fill the vacuum and understand that he may benefit actually from a long campaign in the Republican in the Republican circles in the sense that um, every day he's out slogging it out and beating up Ron DeSantis or Glenn Youngkin or whoever else decides to run against him, Mike Pence, Mike Pompeo, all those people. I, I think he understands that the more the merrier, right? You get 10 Republicans to split the yeah. not Trump vote. And he thinks he's got a chance, too. I think he's also trying to stave off uh, indictment. I think he's trying to stave off the idea that that this protects him. The challenge I have for Republicans, Murphy, on this is I don't think it's going to be as easy to change as we think it is. Now, Club for Growth dropped a ton of polling yesterday. Trump versus DeSantis in all these different places, I think, plus 11 in Iowa, plus 15 for DeSantis in New Hampshire. I would say a couple of things that are important here. Just because Republicans don't like the look of their outfit doesn't mean they can go to their closet and change their outfit so quickly, right? The entire Republican electorate has been reprogrammed because of Trump, and it's going to take a long time to unprogram it. Yes, I do think that the leading edge of it, people have gotten this, wait a minute, this isn't what we signed up for. I just think it's going to be a long, hard slog. I think this one can get really bloody. We saw it last week. Trump was unleashed on whatever his weird social network is, you know, basically going after Ron DeSantis, making de sanctimonious, the new, new, fairly amusing name. He was, uh, was, was taking Glenn Youngkin's name and saying, well, doesn't that sound, doesn't that sound Chinese? I mean, you know, this is every bad impulse of Donald Trump is going to be unleashed at nine o'clock tonight. To your point, this is going to be a 90 minute speech. I bet more of it looks backward than any of it looks forward. And I think to me, that's the ultimate tell into who the nominee for either one of these parties is going to be. Are you willing to talk more about the future or the past? I think Trump's going to set up talking about the past. Right. Normally that's the, that's the recipe. And Trump now is, this is not the Trump of 16. This is the Trump of the election was stolen. It's all about me. Look, I agree. And I think he'll make some news tonight attacking people. I think he might bite Kevin, despite whatever the staff driven thing was, which could complicate that. And I agree. Trump's got some roots. Now, I don't think the whole party, I mean, before the wipeout last Tuesday, Trump was already at barely, you know, between 40 and 50% Republicans saying he ought to run again way, way down from where he used to be. So he's already, there's a Trump fatigue already, and now it's been compounded. But yeah, it'll be a real bloody mess. Now, a couple of things ought to happen. The best secret meeting thing, every Republican who wants to, here's one fun indicator. So the Republican Jewish Coalition, which is a quite Mm -hmm. dynamic group, Matt Brooks, a smart guy, runs it. They're having their annual confab 
conclave, Vegas. whatever you want to call it, in Las Vegas. Yeah, and Sheldon was a big funder back in the day. But anyway, they like to do their thing in Vegas. So all of a sudden this weekend, a lot of candidates who, you know, were busy have cleared their schedule, potential presidential, get to run out there. It's a big finance event, but they're all going to be there. I'm thinking yeah. of even doing a little bit of campaign tourism, the kind of shoe leather reporting that Hacks on Tap mm. is famous for. And, uh, and, and go out there and keep an eye on the, we're not approving those expenses. I'm just saying, <laughs> when you, yeah, you, you, how are we going to get to the top 10? We got, we got to take on Rogan here. We need a budget. <laughs> so, so anyway, um, basically it, it, it's amazing how many are out there moving around chasing donors. It's all started and the donor class, except for a few eccentric billionaire types are very down on Trump now. Yeah. So to your point about if Trump can hold on to 40% in a multi-way primary, He's got a good ticket to ride. There are a few things worth watching this year. One is finance world is going to say everybody can fool around and go audition and give speeches. But when it comes down to the primaries, got to unify. Second, there's a huge difference, as you know better than anybody, between the Democratic and the Republican rules for choosing delegates in the primaries. Now, you guys are all, you know, you're all still crying from watching old Yeller 40 years ago. So you have proportional delegates. Oh, you came in fifth, but you're a nice guy, and you have that, you drove around in that green tractor. Here's a delegate. We're mean social Darwinists. It's mostly winner take all. You you lost by 1%, hit the road, loser, no delegates for you. So our thing in the Hobbesian way is nasty, brutish, and short. But there's some chatter going on, and it's hard to do, but if you have enough votes in the states and in the RNC, why don't we go proportional? Why don't we make it a longer thing to squeeze a Trump to death? And it's amazing how many people thinking of running for president are looking at that thinking, yeah, that would be very bad for Trump. Good for it buys us all a shot. So there's a lot of thinking going on about how do we get rid of the Trump cancer so we can quit losing? And so what the outcome will be, I don't know, but I've said for two years and I'll stick with it. My gut is he won't be the nominee. I don't think it's necessarily DeSantis. DeSantis is kind of a proof of concept. His ability to go out there and flourish and, you know, legitimately pull ahead and early and somewhat meaningless polling against the one you couldn't even mention this idea a year ago in the party shows that there's room for somebody else to catch on. He uh, he may, you know, I don't know if he can take the second and third look. Uh, he's not Mr. Perfect Candidate, but right. it's shown that Trump's vulnerable enough there's space to fill. You know, we'll see. But anyway, it's a totally yeah. different world now, and I think tonight's going to fall a little flat. Maybe it'll energize some grassroots if he's crazy enough, but the never-Trump world is now 10,000% bigger, let me put it that way, in the party, and we'll see how it plays out. Tonight will be fascinating to watch. How much does he attack people? How much does he attack his opponents? How much does he pre... Look, I think part of this is previewing just... He's previewing how nasty this is going to be so some people won't run. I also very much agree with you. Watch the RNC space. Do they change some of the rules to your point? Now the RNC with a a much bigger boat of candidates is going to have to be very neutral. Right. And who will control that committee? And... Watch the state parties where there are a lot of old Joe regular Republicans who've gone along with the Trump thing because we're a tribal party. But now there's room to open, which means state parties can start opening up. There, there, are, a lot of, there are a lot of people wearing rented Trump costumes for their own survival in the party that still exist. Yeah. They've been quiet. They're everywhere. It, it, it was kind of like the worst nightmare in the old days in the Republican presidential committee at, at the convention was that most of your delegate bodies were not actually for you because we would have a different process to choose the actual people who would go to the convention. And the primary said, all right, I'm for Bob Dole. Bob Dole won the primary. But after a couple of ballots, they they would be released. Most of them, not all, but many of them were Pat Robertson people. And it would have been like, you know, the, the end of a climactic movie where all of a sudden the cop reaches over and does the Mission Impossible thing, and it's actually the gangster. You know, everybody points guns in different ways. So there's some of that, and this is the moment now. I would have loved that they'd all done it on the moral imperative back when we few, we lonely few were in Never Trump world. But now it's business. Now it's, you know what? Under Tony Soprano, we're not making any money. I'm, I'm not earning, and I'm looking at nine new federal cases. So other capos, we got to do something about Tony. That's where the party leadership and the mid-level is now, and we will see where it goes. All right, we're going to leave for a minute to pay the power bill, and then we'll be right back. 
So I just moved to new offices in LA. And of course, I've got to work on my vital me, me, me wall because I've got about a million photos from the years on the campaign trail. But you know, they're, they, they just sit in my phone. They're on my hard drive somewhere. It's a nightmare. And I dream of putting all my photos from random camera roll pics to the high res wedding album or me and McCain, the time we uh, got drunk and tried to put that rooster in a tuxedo. Anyway, more about that later. You can solve all these problems with Aura Frames. Name the best digital picture frame by Wirecutter, the strategist, and more. Aura is nothing like the digital frames from a decade ago, Murphy. Every Aura frame is thoughtfully designed to fit any decor style with a stunning HD display, unlimited storage, super easy setup, and no fees. As we record this ad, Murphy, I'm looking at mine. Great pictures I've taken out hiking. Great pictures I've taken at college football games. Simply connect your Aura frame to Wi-Fi and use the free Aura app to add endless pics and videos from anywhere in the world. Invite friends and family on the app and have them comment, heart, and send new photos to your frame. Fast Company recommends it, the Wall Street Journal forms, and many high-end design publications. Aura Frames makes it easy. They're great holiday gifts, especially for the hard-to-shop-for folks in your life. You can preload it with favorite photos and even give them a personalized video message. No need to wrap it. Every gift box is ready to give. And it's a great time to do it because we have some special hacks on tap pricing. Give yourself the gift of time and check off a few of those names on your gift list a little early. From now through Black Friday and Cyber Monday gives, listeners can get how much off? $20 off Aura's best-selling frames. Just go to AuraFrames.com slash hacks. That's A-U-R-A frames.com slash hacks. Terms and conditions apply. I was thinking about this last night. Republicans are ready to quit Trump, not because he tried to steal an election that he lost. They're not, they're not, they're not ready to give up Trump because he sent a, a band of marauders into the Capitol to try to kill people. They're not willing to walk away from Trump because the pandemic response was bad or he stole 300 documents that are top secret and landed them in a hotel in Southern Florida. They're ready to give up on Trump, not because of something he did do, but because of something he didn't do, which is win elections. It, it, it is it right, is a remarkable right. thing for me to sort of, you know, as you look as as Republicans look in the mirror and realize it, it wasn't that it wasn't some insane thing that he did. It was just that they were tired of losing. It, I think that's going to be remarkable. My my exit question before we go to the mailbag is, do you think that? DeSantis instead of Trump is, is that, I mean, I get that one doesn't have, at least at this point, the baggage the other does, but isn't it really Trump versus Trumpism? Is this really, this isn't no, the moment. No, because I think there'll the, be some Trumpism like candidates who will fake it to get Trump voters and try to take the energy out that way. You know, taste great, less filling. But do you think DeSantis is fundamentally different than Trump? Do you think he's going to bring a vision? Oh, to look, I think DeSantis, who, by the way, if it's down to DeSantis and Trump, I'm a thousand percent for DeSantis. DeSantis is smart and he's very cynical, is my belief. I don't know him personally. I know a lot of people who do. He'd probably be Bernie if he thought that was the path to power. And I would prefer a cynic like that in the hard business of politics to a madman full of crazy resentments and, in my view, a racist. So there you go. Because in the end, DeSantis tends to fold and do the same thing. A lot of optics, a lot of flapping around, but in the clutch, the, you know, and he, he's run a fairly good governorship. I was offended by the Martha's Vineyard stuff. There are a million cheap PR tricks. The Disney thing was stupid. I can go on and on. But when it comes to the nine to five stuff, he's a bully, but he's, um, he's competent and, and he's not crazy and in the clutch. He'll back down. Now he's not my favorite. There are other people I like right. a lot more, but if he's not Trump, uh, yeah, I'm all for him. And right now, he is the one that's take, taking real space away. I don't know if that'll hold. I don't know how the third and fourth look will go. Yeah. But if it's not Trump, I'm for it. That's why I voted for Joe Biden. I'm no communist. You know, right. not that Biden is. But ideologically, these Democrats drive me crazy. But we can't have Trump. That's the national imperative. 
couple of things as we go out to the mailbag here. As you're starting to look at polling our listeners, remember this. We do not nominate presidents nationally. National polls are interesting. Yeah. They're not indicative of results. Oh, ignore them. The Milt Gertzman rule, an old McGovern delegate hunter. It's the most important rule in politics. Ignore every presidential primary poll till the voting starts after the first contest. Not that anybody does. Every donor right now is looking at these polls that Wilson or others put out saying, God, Trump's dead with the voters. And the last thing is, to your point, I think campaigns have to wear well. I think one of the raps that I've heard from from Republican political professionals is, you know, DeSantis isn't much of a small talker. He's not much of a handshaker. He's not much of a, you know, sort of a retail politician. We've all seen him behind a podium making big pronouncements. I think it will be interesting to see, you know, which of this group is, which of this group has real staying power. Uh, and I'm not suggesting DeSantis doesn't. He may well. But who has staying power and and who's Scott Walker? You know, who's the person that everybody thinks is going to be the next president that isn't going to make it to even the starting line? So lots to look forward to. Murphy, with that, let's get to the mailbag. It's listener mailbag. Okay, and just to cap what we said a minute ago in the transition, all true but what a different world we're in from 18 months ago where Trump is totally in play here for the nomination. Yeah. Who would have thunk it? I would have. All right. Now, <laughs> even if, if I was, no, no, can the crow, even if I was wrong, like everybody, including all the Democratic pollsters about the midterms, this one you could smell coming. Okay. Hmm. Mailbag. If you have a mailbag question, well, don't mail it to us. What is this, 1921? Email us. Use the interweb like the kids do. You can just send it to our email address, hacksontap at gmail.com. Hacksontap at gmail.com. Gibbs and I, we should talk briefly. We haven't plugged the newsletter for a while because the bulletin platform is winding down. But the newsletter will be full of announcements as we figure out what to do going forward. We have a brand new spanking issue out probably tomorrow morning once we hear the Trump rant tonight. But more, more news to come on that. So shall we go to the questions? Yeah, we're gonna we're we're gonna put out our late night edition of uh, of the the newsletter after we hear uh, Castro talk. Yeah, I'll be drinking. So okay, question number one for Baron Gibbs. This is from Joe. Now that Tim Ryan, a Democrat centrist who's super pro police and anti leftist, God bless him, lost thoroughly to a god awful candidate, and that would be Senator elect J.D. Vance, can we please start having a conversation about how maybe moving rightward is not the answer for Democrats and that populism, left wing ideas may be better? than the so-called pundits think. Mandela Barnes lost to an incumbent in Wisconsin by less than 25,000 votes, a slim margin as opposed to a seven-point beating that Ryan took. He took much more left positions, Barnes did, and had specific populist policies. Well, Joe, uh, great question. Uh, Let me thoroughly disagree with you, and here's why. Uh, I think Tim Ryan, first of all, has a ton of populist ideas. I think he I think he ran one of the best campaigns in the cycle. Uh, and I think he was running it in a place that, quite frankly, was going to be really, really tough for Democrats, regardless of who they nominated and regardless of who the Republicans nominated. I think Tim Ryan running a good campaign probably helped Democrats pick up seats in Ohio. Right. So if I'm just looking at how close each one of these people got, I think you'd have to say that Tim Ryan actually ran a, a pretty good campaign and and should come across as a winner in this. Because had I told you six months ago that we're going to reelect the Democratic governor in Wisconsin, but we're going to lose to Ron Johnson. And I didn't tell you who the nominee was. I think you'd be a lot more disappointed uh, than if I told you a plus eight Trump state in Ohio is not going to be a place where Democrats pick up a Senate seat. So I think as we look through this, Wisconsin is one we left on the field. We just have to be very, very honest about that. We should have won Wisconsin. We won the governor's race. We didn't have a candidate that could win that race. I wish I right. wish Ron Mandela Johnson was not just any incumbent. He was in incredible trouble. Uh, a strong candidate would have beat him this year. He was the most most likely Republican candidate to lose a Senate seat this cycle. That's one we could have picked up. Again, I wish Mandela Barnes would have won. Uh, But I wonder if we'd have run a slightly different candidate there, much like I'm sure Republicans wish they'd run different candidates in different places, whether we wouldn't have picked that seat up as well. 
Well, Gibbs, the answer is obvious. You have to move to Wisconsin. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. This one comes from Greg. I thought the Evan McMullen versus Mike Lee race was fascinating and a fresh, grand experiment in American politics. Can you give the postmortem on the race and why this approach may or may not ever succeed in the future? Yes, Greg, great question. And also an economy of words, unlike our friend Joe, who thinks we get paid by the syllable around here. Um, just teasing you, Joe. That was a smart question. So, yeah, the Evan McMullen thing was a heartbreaker. It was always kind of a romantic long shot. My postmortem would, would be we got it close. Mike Lee was vulnerable, and Evan did a great job. And, and in the coming out of August, when we got our first television up, uh, the race really narrowed. And then the bugle was was called, and millions and millions and millions and millions of Washington dollars came flooding into the state. We were probably beat on television three or four to one uh, in in the last sixty days of the race. And their their message was simple, not really accurate, but hey, come on, it's politics. Um, which is, you know, the Democrats are for Evan McMullen, and there was some Democratic money behind Evan as part of his hybrid campaign of Repubs, Dems, and Independents. And if if Evan couldn't poll in the mid to high thirties of Republicans, he just wasn't going to make it. And in the end that melted away back on tribal reasons. Uh, and so the, the, the red R brand was just too big to beat and we couldn't pull enough of them off Lee in Utah. And that's why Evan lost. Now that's a vote by mail state. And there's a bunch of Evan vote in Salt Lake. That's just creeping in, uh, which is tightening the margin a little, but it, it's not going to be enough obviously. And, uh, but I hope we try this, hybrid experiment again because the 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 coalition evan had in a less uh ruby red state uh might have pulled it off and he's a great patriot for trying and i'm proud of him happy to be associated with the super PAC. the one thing i would add murphy is look I, the, the biggest thing going in politics is party identification and yep. and and it's hard it mountain is, to climb it is a current that uh that is is just hard to navigate and and is what pulls and pushes people in in what direction. I think we saw that in a lot of races on the Democratic side. So we've been terrible on the mailbag. We've skipped a couple because we've been yammering on. So quickly, we're going to add two more bonus ones. Here's one for Gibbs from Megan, the friendly crow. So geniuses, why were all the predictions about a red wave midterm wrong? How can we expect people to give accurate guidance leading into the 2024 election? So what are we, Kreskin? We, we, if we knew the future, we'd be in the stock market right now. But Gibbs, what do you say? A couple of things here. I, I think there's, there was a flood of, of bad polling, a flood of Republican polling that is made, that, that made guesses about an electorate that didn't show up. I don't think we had a really good sense I think if you look at some of the the better polling, it got a lot closer to where this was. Look at the New York Times polling from the last sort of week or so uh, of the race. They came pretty close. Again, they're spending a decent amount on polling. Um, but look, I, I think people just, we we all thought, I to some degree, Murphy to some degree, Axe to some degree, and, and, and many others, look, we just looked at the history of this and thought history was the guide here. Because it's been right nine out of ten times, so we we bet, and also the Democratic polling was pretty bad too. It wasn't partisan. Yeah, and so the the plus or minus on that was look was going to be hard to do. We, we there are races we just simply got wrong. In terms of accurate guidance, let me just say one thing about polling. And I had this conversation with a, a pollster friend of mine, Danny Franklin. You may know Murphy, um, that worked with us in uh, 2008, 2012. I work with him today. Um, you know, he said voters are good about telling you how they feel. They're not great at telling you. Yeah, that's a wise statement. They're they're not great at predicting what they're going to do in six months or in three right. months or in six weeks. And I think that's really important for yeah. people to understand. It, it, it's hard to get. I've always said this, Murphy. I'd love a newspaper or or a TV uh, a news outlet or something. Find ten honest to god undecided people in an election and follow them every week. Have a conversation with them. What did you see this week? How did it make you feel? What did it make you do? Did oh, it make you change people. your mind? But yeah, yeah, I see what you're trying to get to. Yeah, I agree. It's like my thing about polling as a therapy animal. People want to know the future, so they expect polls to predict ballot, which is what they're worst at. They tell you a lot about what the voters are feeling. They help you run a campaign to try to turn that feeling into votes, but they're, they're not that predictive. Murphy, also one thing is when you think history is the guide, you're not looking at some of the other markers. 
We should have looked at the special election in New York. We certainly yeah, saw it yeah. in Kansas. And we just, we, we kind of talked ourselves out of some of the stuff we were seeing. We talked ourselves out of some of the early vote numbers. Uh, again, it, it's, it's good to have a wide lens on this. Right. And we missed, we got to get all the data, but there was a bit of a surge of young voters and the polling missed that because polling, and it's smart to do it this way, tends to wait to what normally happens. Okay, one more question. What do we have, Gibbs? All right, I got one for you from Dave. It's obvious that for a Republican to dethrone Trump in 2024, he or she will have to engage in political blood sport with the former president. No doubt. If Ron DeSantis turns out not to have the stuff for this, is there any chance Chris Christie could make a comeback? Or is Christie's brand too tarnished to have a chance? Murphy, who's who's your uh, who's your not Ron DeSantis? Well, I'm not sure yet. That's what the auditions are about now for you know ten months. But Christie's got a big mouth, and that's a useful thing. He's got a lot of baggage, no doubt about it. But in the modern reality show, throwing a glass of Chablis at somebody in the back of a party bus optics of uh, candidacies. Christie, if he can get a microphone, if the media will treat him as a contender, which could be an uphill battle for him, but he could get the microphone, could do some damage. Let's put it this way. He's hard to miss, and I think he wants to run. So I think there will be some noise there, and there are going to be no shortage of others, I think, out there. And they're all going to try to race fast because they see DeSantis as getting the leap now, and they'd rather have it. So stay tuned and get your popcorn. Excellent. Maybe maybe it'll give us something to talk about for the next year and a half. I think we might. So, Gibbsy, it was great, great, great to get together here post-election. Next week, I'm bringing my shotgun, and we're going to handle that damn crow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you little bastard, I'm coming for you. But thank you to the listeners for spending the election year with us, and yeah. we'll be back with Brother Axelrod and guests and mailbag and everything we do. I think we're skipping next week for Thanksgiving. Have a great Thanksgiving. Enjoy it with your friends and your family. And if you Absolutely. see Murphy on the street, watch out. There's a big black bird following him everywhere <laughs> he goes. Hardly. Hardly. I'm delighted because the, the end of Trump I predicted to your Snickers, I might add, could well be happening. We'll be back after Thanksgiving. And again, be nice to your family members from the other party. Let's make this a unity Thanksgiving. Put the country first. Murphy's just trying to hope that uh, that your uncle will take that bird that keeps following him. Yeah, I'll tell Uncle Vern to bring his shotgun. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you soon. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.